Welcome to Tad Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Strategy Podcast. This is your host, Tad Dickel, and I'm joined today with Amy Mangold. She is the president of the United Way of Southwestern Indiana. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, we're happy to to have you join us today and talk a little bit about uh, your approach to leadership. And maybe you could begin by just sharing your background. Well, um, I grew up in Spencer County, so I am a tri-state native. Although I went to high school over in Robinson, Illinois, so I really have expanded my horizons by going to high school in Robinson. Then I came back and went to um, college here at U of E. And many people, because I've spent some time on the news, felt like I went to school for journalism, but actually that's not true. Really? Uh, Went to school here at U of E for business management. Uh, Got out of school, went right to work at St. Mary's Medical Center at the time. That tells you how old I am, but... Then I've been in various marketing and development roles uh, throughout my career at a few different nonprofits and have done a few different stints on the news. I was uh, on the morning show with my great buddies, Dan and Byron, back in, I'm going to date myself again, but back in the uh, early 2000s, and then did a second stint over at WEHT on the evening time and WTVW evening time around, I think it was 2017, something like that, before, you know, it's the asterisk, before COVID and after COVID, so that was before COVID, and now how I have been at United Way of Southwestern Indiana for about three and a half years. All right. Well, thank you. Do do people still recognize you from your news days? Actually, they do. It's really funny because sometimes I will run into someone at the store and they'll be like, oh, gosh, I know you. I know I know you from somewhere. And I'll kind of let them try and work that out um, in their head before I say anything. And then they'll be like, I watch you on the news. I watch you on the morning show. And I'm like, that's really interesting. I haven't been on the morning show in 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) So it's so funny how we compartmentalize people from context in their history, right? I was talking to somebody who used to be on the news, and I think he told me he hadn't been on for about eight years. And he said he still has people that say, Oh, I just love watching you on the news. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and and then I have to say, how much do you really watch the news, right? Right, right. Exactly. How did you decide then to to transition into your current role at United Way of Southwestern Indiana after having some different marketing roles and different uh, stints on TV? Well, I tell you, I always, and I've mentioned this in another podcast, I really look at my background as a tapestry preparing me for my role at United Way of Southwestern Indiana, because even whenever I was in the news business, in the media business, I was always in it to help other people, to inform people, to help them know what's going on in their community. And that's why I loved the morning show. We were always working with nonprofits, getting people ready in the morning to start their day and really being quite helpful. So as I worked through some of my different marketing and development roles, and I love the nonprofit space, it's just an industry that really draws me um, in terms of servant leadership and service to our community. So as I have been in those separate roles and different roles throughout my career, 
I really wanted to lead up into leading an organization and a significant organization that makes a huge difference in our community. So when the role of marketing and development director, uh, or excuse me, marketing and communications director opened up at United Web Southwestern Indiana a few years ago, I was really interested in that because I had always viewed United Way as a very impactful organization, and I had had a few friends who had worked there, and they really had a great time and loved it and were doing amazing work in the community, and I thought I wanted to join that. Tell us then, what? how would you describe your approach to leadership? Like, you know, who's influenced it, and what? how do you view leadership? Well, I tell you who really influenced it, and that was the staff at St. Mary's Medical Center. Whenever I came out of college, I began at St. Mary's, and St. Mary's was so incredibly mission-focused. And I, I tell people I cut my teeth on, at non, on nonprofits at St. Mary's because they kept mission in front of us all the time, and they made it very important to understand our mission, to live out the mission. Sister Catherine Kelly was there at the time. Uh, some, some people you might remember, Doug French and uh, Richard Brion were there at the time. And mission was such a focus. Whenever we, you would onboard, you would take about two days in onboarding training, and half of that was history and mission. We were there to be the hands and feet of Christ. And we were also there. Everyone knew that their role was valued. Whether you cleaned the rooms for the patients, whether you washed the sheets, whether you cooked the meals, every person was so valuable in serving those who were most vulnerable in body, mind, and spirit. And they went so far as we had mission representatives in each of our departments, and I was um, very honored to be one. And a mission representative really made sure that the department kept the mission in the forefront. So they might do something encouraging. They might do some educational training. They might help people understand their role in in the mission. And so um, that impacted my leadership and my really my future quite significantly. Great. I've I've done work with um, some of the Daughters of Charity, and I know that they really – um, emphasize, they talk about mission a lot. And I think that's something that a lot of organizations kind of look past, like they look at what they do, right. but they don't necessarily look at why they do it. And they don't talk about why they do it. And in some of the previous podcasts, I've talked about elements of employee engagement. And one of the elements is when people feel that the purpose or the mission of their company or their organization is important. Right. And so, you know, instead of thinking about, you know, for a healthcare organization, just like, okay, we treat sick people, we... We put new knees in, those types of things, right? (laughs) We give people shots, (laughs) like really thinking about like, we are here, as you said, you know, to be the hands and feet of Christ or to improve the quality of health and the quality of life for people that walk through our doors. And how impactful is, I mean, that is so impactful. And, um, and as I mentioned, 
everyone was important. They, you felt important. It wasn't that, oh, I just clean the rooms or, oh, I just work for a dietary or anything like that. Every person, every position has such value in delivering excellent care to a patient and to their, or, or you think you take it outside of healthcare. Every person that walks in your door in your organization, um, needs to feel seen and heard and valued. And every role plays a key part in creating that atmosphere and creating that excellence. And I think to your point, for for everyone in the organization to know the why, to know why I'm here. Yes, I might be in environmental services, but I'm here because this is a crucial piece and because I am helping people become healthier through having a clean room. I mean, it's it's connecting the dots of how every role is so key and important in improving other people's lives. Yeah, I love, I love how you describe that there. Thank you. I know that United Way in recent years has been working on succession planning. We have. That's an area that, that I've done some work in, and I think it's an interesting area because it's not uncommon for organizations to not want to talk about the future or, <laughs> right. uh, or be afraid of the future. Right, or be afraid to have those conversations. And and we're all thinking it. You know, as, as people get older, we're thinking, when does that person plan to retire? Or how long does that person want to stay in this organization? Or how long do I want to stay in this organization? And where do I see myself in the future? And where do the people around, you know, are they happy in their current roles? And I, I think those conversations are often neglected. And so I'd be curious um, how you've approached succession planning at United Way, and, and maybe what's gone well, and, and even like, if there are any lessons that you would uh, want to share that you learned. Well, I, I tell you, um, I give so much credit to Amy Canterbury and the board at United Way of Southwestern Indiana. They really, when she came into the role, she came into the role to really help the organization transition. And, you know, we can cover that a little bit later, but United Way has really gone through massive change over the last few years, and that was her charge whenever she came to the organization. And beyond that, they also said, we'd like for you to put a succession plan in place as well. And I think that takes such courage and such, um, you know, openness and all as well that you're planning and that you're developing the next generation of leaders. Sometimes some leaders cannot let's be honest, cannot get out of the way, right? Right. And I I don't mean that in any detriment, but some just have a hard time letting go. And I can understand that. However, she knew that, you know, this was that she was going to be um, approaching the age that she was wanting to potentially do something different. And so they really started to talk about a succession plan. And I love succession plan, especially in this economic environment, because we have so much difficulty retaining and, and attracting new talent. And I, um, I can see both sides of the coin. I can see national searches and getting big heavy hitters into markets to do new innovative things. I can see the value in that. I can also see the value in bringing someone along who is known uh, who has known the community, who has been in this landscape, 
who has been in the organization for a while and really uh, worked to try to move up and those types of things as, things as well. So the, the value of the knowledge exchange, rather than having a brand new person come in and take a year to ramp up, I think is, is quite significant. Uh, we have been, we did something kind of unique in that the, she had the president CEO role. And in order to give a clear kind of delineation and a clear message that there was going to be a shift, we broke that role up into CEO and president. And now I'm in that president's role and she retains the CEO title. And what we did in terms of that is she started transitioning, beginning to transition relationships, uh, meetings, specific responsibilities that we outlined specifically within the, the president role description. And as we continue through this process, more is coming off of her plate, more is coming on to my plate. Even something as simple, Ted, even something as simple as shifting where we sit in the board meeting, that was something very powerful and something you might not think about. But Amy decided that she was not going to sit next to the board president any longer. Mm. She was going to put me there to start to signal the shift in responsibility and in leadership. I think if I were to say, talk about lessons learned, I think sometimes really clearly outlining expectations, so I, and even for the staff as well, uh, to make sure we know who's making a decision in this area, who's on first whenever it comes to this um, type of task. And, you know, sometimes outlining things can get a, a pretty nitpicky, but I still think making sure that people are clear on in this area, you're going to go to Amy. In this area, you're going to go the other Amy. You <laughs> right. <laughs> you're going to go to Amy. So. Well, it's easy for the organization to transition to the same name of leader. So they're just going to think I'm Amy C with dark hair, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I could not fill those shoes, so I won't even pretend. <laughs> well, it's interesting you talk about like bringing in somebody internally versus the the outside national person or the result of a big search. And if you've if you read Good to Great or any of our listeners have read that book, uh, Jim Collins talks about you know these companies that you know transition from like being good companies to great companies, and often the one of the common elements was they had an internal candidate for CEO role um, versus like some of the other organizations that really were just labeled as good and never moved to, to greatness yeah. um, would bring in somebody like from the outside that was kind of viewed as a big name or a, mm-hmm. a savior to bring in and yeah. and fix everything. So it, it's easy for us to be attracted to this like oh, right. this big name or yeah. somebody from out of town. but Or from a big market because right. they can bring big market ideas to our, you know, Midwestern town. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I think there's, in many instances, there's, I might argue based on that study and some other experiences I've had, like if you can find the right person and groom them and build them up and really develop them into the leader you want them to be, that might be a better approach for a lot of companies. Well, and I'm quite, quite grateful that they have decided to go this route. I mean, I'm very thankful. And I, it, Again, I think it also shows employees that they'll take a chance on someone, right? They will, and and they'll recognize potential in someone. And I think that's what 
employees also want to see other employees within the organization that, oh, this is an organization that will recognize potential in me, will give me the tools to develop and grow, and will help me reach, you know, the pinnacle of where I can be in this organization or will help me launch into my next role in a higher way. Sure. And and that's the other thing. I know it's difficult to retain uh, employees right now, but but retaining employees just to try and keep them locked in to what they're doing right now. I really love to see people grow and grow into what they want to do and into their potential. And and while it's hard to see employees leave, when they have greater opportunity somewhere else because they've grown so much, that can be an exciting thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that's not so great. Right. 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 I, I think that often we we don't want to have those conversations like about whether where that person sees themselves. Um, and there are times where, where people say, I'm very happy in my role and I want to stay in it. And they're a good contributor. And we need people like that. Perfectly that fine. Have a long tenure in organizations and are, you know, consistent and do good work. But then I think there's also, we, we also sometimes see people who become complacent or they feel like they're no longer challenged and or they kind of like to leave but maybe they don't you know they don't have the confidence right. or they're, they're scared to take a, a risk and and sometimes retaining those people isn't necessarily good for the that individual or the organization you're exactly right they need to be able you need to give them the the open space to dream right because we all need people who believe in us and believe in our dreams to do something better. And so if they don't have the confidence or if they don't feel like um, they have the tools or they've been given the latitude to grow into the spaces that they want, I think that's really sad. You know, our, our vision at United Way is that everyone reaches their full potential. And we want that. And to your point, that's different for everyone. Full potential might be, hey, my full potential is right where I'm at. I'm an expert in what I do, and I'm perfectly comfortable with that. Right. And um, others' full potential might be growing straight into the next role that takes them to the top. So um, that's the nuance of, of our organizations. It's very, very individual, right? Different mm -hmm. people need different things. What are some things that you have done to really develop your leadership skills like in this transitional period? Well, um, I, I have to say I love executive coaching. Big fan of that. I am a voracious learner. Uh, it's super high on my Clifton strengths. I love learning. I'm super curious. So I read a lot of books. I listen to podcasts. And I like to tap into others who have either been in that situation, who are partners. So I'll call and ask people to coffee and I'll say, what do you think about this leadership transition? Where do you see the obstacles lie? And I guess that's why people think I'm a reporter by trade, because I ask a million questions. And as we are transitioning, even within the organization, it's um, not only do I ask Amy Canterbury, where do you see that I need stronger development between now and when we when you retire and when we make this transition? Where do you feel like I can shore up? Uh, what am I doing well? You know, those types of things. And then also asking those whom I supervise, am I giving you what you need? 
Do you feel like you have opportunities to grow? Is there training that you want? So again, not only learning my development and how I manage and lead and supervise from the top down, but also from those who, who are uh, within my team, or I should say our team, um, to get their feedback as well. Right. Well, and I think, you know, executive coaching can be a great, um, great way to develop and really um, get feedback from somebody and talk through things and set goals and have some accountability and follow through. Um, and, and also, I liked hearing you talk about the vulnerability of saying, you know, to your supervisor, to the people you supervise, like, how, you know, how am I doing? How can I support you better? How can I lead more effectively? Those are, those are important questions to ask. Well, and they can be, it can be hard to hear the answer, right? And you have to be prepared for hard answers. And, and I always ask for people to be transparent with me because I'm afraid they hold back a little bit. You know, you, you've got somebody asking you right in front of you saying, hey, what am I doing wrong? And they're like, oh, no, no, you're fine. Uh, I'm thinking, well, you probably might be holding back on something here. But I very much feel like I'm in a growth mode. And I think we're always in a growth mode. We can always evolve as great as as. As successful as we can be, there's always opportunity to learn and grow and to improve and to be more empathetic, compassionate, whatever we need to be, and and to connect with people in what they need individually because different employees need different things. And I think that's one of the things I've learned about leadership. There's no cookie cutter I'm a servant leader, plop, and everything about servant leadership works in this situation at all times. Never going to happen. Each situation, each individual that you're working with and you work alongside dictates a different style of leadership in any different scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it, an organization might need a change agent at some point. An organization might need a healer at some point. So I think, um, and I think we as leaders need to be nimble in our approach as well and listen to what's working for people and what's not. Mm-hmm. It was interesting you talked about like different organizations need t- different types of leaders at different times. And that's something I, I think about often where, you know, you mentioned a healer, you mentioned a change agent. And as, as we look at leadership roles, it can be really helpful to, to almost interview the organization in terms of what leadership they really need yeah, and make sure that it's the right fit on both sides. Because there are times where organizations need somebody to maintain or, you know, make things more efficient to optimize versus there are times where you need a whole, a holistic change that needs to take place. Exactly. Um, you sometimes, I mean, I've, I've had organizations I've worked with who have gone through really difficult times and, you know, maybe it's a, a scandal or maybe it's a, um, an acquisition or something and like the everything that people has gone th- through it really influences the type of leadership that's needed and so i was i was just think like there are times where 
as a leader, we'll find the most energy when, you know, when our skill sets are most aligned with the, the organization's needs. Uh, I think you're exactly right. And I, and I think that although we need to be nimble as leaders, people settle into a specific style, right? Some leaders are known as the change agents. Some leaders are known about putting structure into organizations or continuous quality improvement. And some leaders might be known as the more empathetic, softer side. Um, and, and, and that's wonderful. But, I, but as we mentioned, even if you come into an organization with that leadership style, to be nimble enough to recognize that seasons within an organization change as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being able to, to bring in and adapt to, to what the people in your organization need at the time as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. I know in recent years... United Way has made some major changes, like in terms of how the organization is funded, and then in terms of, you know, how the organization funds nonprofits in the community. Could you talk about how, like, why those changes were were needed, and, um, you know, sort of about how the new strategy has uh, evolved over time, and kind of lessons learned from that? Sure. Well, this was, of course, before my tenure there, but think back, United Way is 100 years old. And any organization that is 100 years old needs to evolve with the changing landscape, for sure. So is it 100 years locally yes. or nationally? Yes, or? it's more than 100 years nationally, okay. but 100 year, 101 years now locally. So can you imagine any business that did not evolve their business model in the 100 years? I mean, we might be able to cite a couple of companies that have gone out of business because right. they could not keep up with the times. So um, as, as United Way was progressing uh, in, the, in you know, several years ago, we were hearing from donors that you have been doing the same thing for a long time. You've been funding in the same manner. We are still hearing that, you know, we're still hearing the same statistics. We don't know what change is being made. You're doing, trying to be all things to all people by giving a little bit of money to a whole lot of, of different things. You really need to focus and you need to make larger impact with, with the dollars that you raise. So it, they embarked on, and many United Ways around the country have been uh, up against this as well. Because the market, so many things have changed over the last five to 10 years, and COVID is yet another thing that has, is in that mix. But um, so they had decided to embark on a strategic plan in terms of doing this shift. They invited many partners into the work, the nonprofits that they were funding, the, the business community, individual donors. They did community listening sessions uh, with the Harwood Institute to really gather a lot of feedback about how the organization was operating, how they were funding, those types of things. And what came out of that was that there needed to be a change, both in funding model, what we were funding, and how we were going about it. So as part of all of those discussions, uh, it was determined that we were going to massage our mission to unite resources around priority community issues. And when we looked at the Harwood conversation feedback, those living in poverty and those who we call Alice, um, and that is that are pe- those are people who are income constrained yet employed. 
But so in other words, the, the struggling working families, the, it really became evident that really serving that population was, was the most, the largest priority community issue right now. So in doing that, we went through a long process of talking with our nonprofit organizations that we have funded, our partner agencies, they were always known as partner agencies, and said, we are going to focus on what we call upward mobility, a positive spin on poverty reduction. Because we don't just want to get people out of poverty. We want to put them on an upwardly mobile track, right? All of us want to be upwardly mobile. Sure. That's, that's um, you know, we want to improve our situation. So in doing so, we said, we are going to start focusing our investments in solving this issue. And in, in doing that, we don't want to cut you off. But we want you to start planning for revenue diversification. And that even happened, that discussion started happening far before, far in advance of, of these tighter discussions a few years ago. And we said, um, based on how much of, we're, of your program budget we are funding and your, uh, what, you, what services you provide, we will give you anywhere from 18 to 30 months of trans, what we're calling glide path transition funding. This is up to close to three years of funding to give you time as we step it down to find grants, other resources, those types of things. And and we notified our partner agencies of that. And then as we looked at the the, um, factors of upwardly mobile communities and families, we said, here are four critical factors out of the Raj Chetty study out of Harvard. Good employment, maintaining living wage jobs, getting and maintaining living wage jobs, mental health. If you don't have good mental health, it, nothing else works as well, right? It, our youth, a two-gener approach to our youth. We've got so many youth in poverty. We want to make sure that they become upwardly mobile, that they're set up with the resources to survive, uh, survive and thrive. And then also a social capital, which we call social stability and growth. We need the networks that help keep us stable. We need networks that help us grow and expand and advance. And we, we said, now what we're going to do with our investment funding is uh, two times a year, we're going to release a pathway grant. We call these our Pathways to Potential. And we are going to bring together experts in that space to tell us what is needed in the space help us write the applications that are going to drive toward those outcomes, and then blindly help us score and review those applications. So say, for example, let's take mental health, for example. We brought together mental health counselors, mental health administrators, and those, t- uh, those types of experts and said, what do we need the most in the mental health space right now? And they said, access, access for low-income individuals. And we said, okay, then help us write the application on what um, applicants need to show, what outcomes, what data they need to provide, their theory of change, their financial stability, their sustainability plan, those types of things. And then that group also helped us develop the scoring rubric and then helped us blindly so we could objectively assess the applications and decide what was going to be the most impactful programs for which to fund. So whenever we talked with our legacy partner agencies, we said, we want to see you in this work. You're doing amazing work in our community. We're not here to do harm. We're here to do more good and to make more, we're hoping to drive more impact. And so we hope you see yourself fitting within one of these pathways and you are able to apply in one of these pathways in the future. 
And what that also allowed us to do is our partner agencies were a closed group of agencies. If you were outside the closed group, you were not applying for United Way funding. Hmm. So we had some amazing nonprofits that could never get United Way funding. And now that we have gone to this competitive grant process, any nonprofit that can track to the outcome, you know, that can prove impact toward the outcome that we are looking to drive toward can apply for these grants. So a great example is Youth First. Youth First was not a a legacy partner agency, and now we're funding them within mental health, putting social workers in our EVSC schools. Great. So um, long story, but a very, um, you know, quite an in-depth transition over a few years in order to get where we are today. Well, it sounds like it was, you know, response, you were being responsive to, you know, changes in society in terms of how people give and also just thinking about, you know, what are the needs in the community? And I'm I'm sure that's, you know, that's a difficult, it can be a difficult change when you have some people that, you know, funding at some point ends. Oh, I know uh, it's so hard. Yeah. But, um, but I can, you know, I can see why there's a lot of value in, really trying to fund impact. Right. And we, we, the old cliche is uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and expecting a different result. And we, the other thing, whenever someone got United Way funding, we were always funding the same program, hmm. always the same program. Don't, you know, we're not funding a different program. We're funding the same one. And that was not encouraging innovation, expansion, pilot programs, collaboration, anything like that. So this is really a a more expansive type of way for us to invite people into the work. We've seen more collaborative grants come out of this process. We've seen more innovation. We're funding more pilot programs, things that are are evidence-based yet testing to see if we can make even more impact than what we thought we could by funding a, a previous program. Well, that's, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that uh, and the changes that, that you've been part of. Well, and I tell you, change is difficult for everyone. Um, and, I, and I can see the other side of it. I can see the, the, the difficulty and the challenge and the uh, angst of having funding go away whenever you work for one of these and lead one of these impactful organizations within our community. And we've had some great response to this and we've had some, some heartache from this and we understand that and we're, we're ready to come out on the other side. And again, we really want to see uh, our legacy partner agencies find themselves in the new pathways in this work. And uh, we, we really want to work alongside them because we're all here to do great things for our community. Mm-hmm. Great. One of the issues that many companies are dealing with, um, and I think it's, it may be even more of a problem in nonprofits, is you know, recruiting and retaining employees. And so I'd be curious what, what you've done or as you move into the CEO role, things you'd like to do to address this issue. You know, people are not as, as loyal to a company and, and they don't have any intention necessarily to stay anywhere as long as they want. And when you have a more competitive labor market that it's, you know, or I would say it's a less competitive labor market because people are 
can move around and, you know, that, that sort of thing. Well, the, the employers are definitely competing for the workers, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> it's competitive in that way. Right, yes. Yeah, so it's more compi- – <laughs> yeah. I was trying to yeah. decide the best way to describe that. Yeah, you're exactly right. But, but in many ways, it's, it's easier for employees to move around and it's harder for companies to get people to stick around. So what are your thoughts about that topic and – well, we are definitely not immune to turnover and those types of things. Um, and I, we, you know, whenever you're in nonprofit, you're in hard work. You're not necessarily in it uh, for for big salaries or anything like that. So, I think it helps to have a great reputation within the community that people respect your organization, that they see that you're doing good work, that your work is impactful. Those types of things, because I uh, employees are are drawn to well-respected organizations. So people really, I think organizations really need to manage their brand. Mm -hmm. And for us, we have been, we look on the side of more flexible benefits, those types of things. It's the softer benefits that we we offer, whether that be allowing some remote work, um, whether that be um, an incentive within our own internal campaign for getting to what we call flee at three. You get some flea at three vouchers where you can, um, you know, leave at three o'clock and enjoy the rest of your day. And I think as I um, move into this role, I think the other thing that really can help retain employees is that training opportunity to know what they're wanting out of their job and out of their responsibilities. And if they have a desire for growth, whether that's learning someone a piece of someone else's role or seeing a gap that needs to be met, or um, maybe I've always wanted to learn more about advocacy, but I've never had the opportunity to do that training. I think training uh, is another great way to help employees feel valued, that we're helping them reach their potential, and that we see um, we see the real opportunity there. For both them and and the organization, and that that's a win win for me. Training is a win. <laughs> Training is a win win. Right. I very rarely see any drawbacks to keeping people well educated and trained, and and giving them opportunities to grow in the way that they want to grow. Right. When people feel like they're invested, you know that their their organization is willing to invest in them. That that um, that is an element of engagement. Yes, yes. Um, and it helps that individual grow, and it helps the organization be more effective. Most definitely. So, what are you most proud of as a leader? Well, that's that's interesting. Um, I have had a couple of uh, people who have been on my team in previous roles write me notes about how impactful I was in terms of really helping them be seen and heard and valued as an employee, and, in, and to your point, investing in them, and investing in their growth, investing in their development. And that really sticks with me because um, that's what we all want as humans. We all want to be seen and heard and valued. And so if I can make people feel that way, whether it's someone who's on my team 
whether it's someone who walks in the door, whether it's someone I'm having coffee with because we're building a relationship, that is what's most important to me. And, uh, you know, I have to say, I'm a little disappointed in myself right now because the busyness of the world right now and the busyness of transition and juggling roles, sometimes we let capacity and time get in the way and the tasks, the everyday doing of things that we don't take the time to sit with another person and help them feel seen and heard and valued. And so um, I want to do better at that you know, as, as I work into this role to get some of the tasks off my plate to really be in that supportive um, role. Because when we have people on our teams that are performing at the top level and feel valued and they want to do good, our whole organization just elevates, right? Because everybody's like working on top cylinders. And how can you not be successful whenever you're doing something mm-hmm. like that? I always thought it was really a neat thing when I would be at the downtown Old National Building and Bob Jones, who was CEO at the time, would just be sitting in the cafeteria on the main floor and he'd pull, he'd get a table right next to where people pay for their lunch and he'd just sit there and talk to people. And, you know, there was a part of me that sometimes I would think, doesn't he have better things to do? Like sort of a cynical side. Mm-hmm. But then what, I, what I've realized and is that that was the most important thing he could do was to really connect with people, to be visible, to build relationship yeah. with, with the people around him. And I think that was an important part of the culture that he helped build. Most definitely. And he's such an amazing leader. He's such an example. Linda White. Mm -hmm. You know, you think of some of the powerhouse leaders within our community. And gosh, I'd hate to start naming names because we, our community is blessed with so many of what we would call servant leaders that we're bursting at the seams with Mm -hmm. them. And I, I really hope that um, we are grooming the next generation to step into those shoes and that they see themselves Mm -hmm. in that role, in that servant leadership role. Right. No, I I agree. I mean, we we really have just a wide variety of excellent leaders, whether they're in, you know, civic roles or nonprofit roles or business roles. I I think they, they have a huge impact on quality of life in our community. Most definitely. You know, I spent um, several years in our library system. I love our library system. You know, that's the learner in me. Marcia Au was the director at the time. And I also, you know, she is someone who influenced my leadership because Marcia was always looking ahead as well. And also having that key piece of, you know, we've got the connection piece, but also the innovative piece, the strategy piece, the, the let's anticipate the changes in the environment. And she was also big, big, big on training and education. So uh, that's a different piece of leadership that's really crucial as well, because especially in the rapid pace of our environment now, everything's changing. Gosh, who knows what's going to happen with AI, right? <laughs> I mean, and so it's being in those spaces and getting, uh, I was at a conference and we were talking about signals, looking to f- learning how to recognize signals within the marketplace that say, oh, 
that's starting to catch on. I wonder if this is going to become a trend. I wonder if this is going to affect my business. You know, it's those types of things as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whenever you're, whenever people decide that they want a leadership role or that, or they start to, to move into leadership, there's so many different key pieces that, that, um, make, make a holistic, uh, person out of that. Right. right. Absolutely. Are there any setbacks you've experienced that have influenced who you are as a leader? You know, I don't know if I would call it setbacks, but I alluded to it earlier. I think right now my challenge, I think there are challenges. You know, I've had some challenges. And my challenge is part of me, there's part of me that's an achiever-doer. So I want to do, get the, you know, tasks, write them off, get them on, on to the next thing, get this done. And I can fall into that, those deep weeds. Mm-hmm. And and whenever I fall into those deep weeds, then I am not elevating to be the kind of leader that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. So I'm not spending time. I'm not developing. You know, I'm, I'm not taking the space to develop and to connect and to lead and to guide and coach and encourage and those types of things. So I don't know if I would call it a setback, but, but I find myself, you know, sinking into the weeds and then I'm, you know, pulling myself out. <laughs> like, let's take a time out. Let's reassess and get back on, get back to leading the way that I went to lead. Right. I, I have that uh, achiever in my top five strengths. And and I've, I've heard people talk about like ceilings and floors in terms of like there are times where like you're at your height as an achiever. Yeah. And so there, you know, there are times where I can be just incredibly effective and uh, productive and get things done. And then like sort of the, that, so that's sort of the ceiling. Like that's when I'm, you know, at my best. But then, there's also that that floor that happens where I get so wrapped up in what I'm trying to achieve that I forget about everything else. Yes, yeah. It's what what are you turning your attention or what's what's taking your attention at mm-hmm. the time? Right. And so knowing like sometimes how our strengths can also be our Achilles heel. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of Shirzad Shamin's positive, uh, intelligence. positive intelligence. Mm-hmm. Your saboteurs or some of your strengths just taken too far, mm-hmm. those types of things. Yeah. yeah. And and being able to take a step back and have the self-awareness that it's like, okay, whoa, 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 time out. Mm-hmm. Okay, I might have felt like I might have felt drained or I might have felt overwhelmed or whatever. And, and it's taking that step back and saying, well, you're feeling this way because you're not living out your values. You're not living out your leadership philosophy. You need to take a time out, respond, recalibrate, and figure out how you're going to, you know, get back to where you wanted to be. Right. Yeah. And, and to, and like he says, tone down those saboteurs, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, um, Thanks so much for being on the podcast Thanks today, for Amy. Me. Um, I really enjoyed it. How much? How can people find out more about you in the United Way of Southwestern Indiana? Well, I tell you, I don't know if they want to learn any more about me, but you can find <laughs> you can find out more about Southwestern uh, United Way of Southwestern Indiana on our website at uh, unitedwayswi.org. We're of course also on Facebook and on Instagram and LinkedIn and all that good stuff. So yeah. 
All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, I think you've provided some valuable advice for our, well, I hope so. for our listeners. And I uh, hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much. You too. To learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel Group, please visit tadickel.com. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.